Today on AM to DM, we have the latest on Ukraine and the impeachment inquiry. Then we're talking about that Handmaid's Tale wedding photo, and I'm sitting down with actor Derek Luke. We'll see you on the timeline. Good morning, Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM. And here's a tweet from the Horse Whispers discussing Twitter's most hated person. Jacob Wall claims Liz Warren had an affair with a 24-year-old Marine. I hope this is untrue. With her stamina, she could have killed the poor man. Here's a tweet from Alyssa Leader. Kind of horrifying that our current president has been accused of sexual assault by more than 16 women, but Jacob Wall expected that a claim that Elizabeth Warren had wild consensual sex with a younger man would be a campaign-ending scandal. Wild consensual sex and Liz Warren. Oh my. A sentence I never saw coming, but also took a lot of joy out of, because you know what, get yours, girl, if that is true. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing, I, I really hate bringing more attention to Jacob Wall, because yes. I just, I, I don't <sighs> feel that he deserves any oxygen at all no. uh, in our news cycle but I also like to laugh. It's a good laugh because he's so, also becoming progressively worse and worse and worse at this. You know, this is the man that cre created claims that Robert Mueller was part of a sexual uh, assault allegation and then Pete Buttigieg um, and then myself and the folks at the Daily Beast reported out the Pete Buttigieg allegations that he assaulted a young person um, about a year or so ago and that young person got on the record and said, no, these girls flew me down and misled me and then forced me to sign papers saying I said a thing that I never said and I thought that was the bottom but this is truly the bottom no, because they literally have no evidence. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, these are completely fabricated, ridiculous claims that I suppose are intended to disrupt these people's campaigns. And yes. they are so truly ridiculous that people really ran with this one and had a it lot of fun. It is, it, so. but it's so great when people, when Jacob Wall does anything now, everyone on both sides, from the Washington Examiner to Breitbart to everyone, is like, like, screw this guy. Like, F this guy. Like, he is so bad at what he's doing that no one is even supporting him. It's true in this highly, highly, highly polarized moment the one thing we can all seem to agree on is uh, that we love to just drag Jacob Wall. The bipartisan so bring, issue bring of our people time. together. But the best part about this is the tweet from Senator Warren. She said, it's always a good day to be remembered that I got where I am because a great education was available for $50 a semester at the University of Houston. Go Cougars! We need to cancel student debt and make college free for everyone who wants it. And that Cougars reference is because there was this sign that said, mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren, Cougar? And I saw the picture <laughs> of the sign and I was like, wait, are we supposed to think that this is a bad thing? There's something wrong with this? And what's amazing here is that Elizabeth Warren continues to show us that she has a plan, no matter what. You know, you can allege false allegations of her having hot consensual sex. And she said, you know what, girl? I'm going to talk about student debt. <laughs> and that is amazing. It makes her so popular these days that she continues to rise in the polls. Quite, quite a pivot, quite a pivot away from it. It really is. So well, let's take it to the timeline. What's been your favorite celebrity or politician clapback? Let us know using the hashtag AM to DM. So, you know, this made me think about how uh, Senator Warren has uh, previous clapbacks, like mm -hmm. she persisted, which yes. was the Mitch, Mitch McConnell quote that then she reclaimed. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it made me think of our interview with Sky Jackson. Yes, and Azalea so, Banks when she got Miss yeah. Banks to Gilbo. Exactly. That might be our fate. That might be our fate. It was. Well, now we are going to dive right into all of the latest news on Ukraine. Here's a tweet from Wall Street Journal White House reporter Rebecca Bajas. 
Text messages released by the House late tonight reveal that Trump officials sought to use a White House meeting between Trump and Zelensky as leverage to press the Ukrainian government to pursue an investigation into Biden and 2016 election interference. Here's another tweet from Rebecca. Trump ordered the removal of the ambassador to Ukraine after months of complaints from allies, including Rudy Giuliani, that she was undermining him abroad and obstructing efforts to persuade Kyiv to investigate uh, Biden. Rebecca had a busy day and night, but we're so glad she's joining us now to unpack both of these stories. Good morning. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's start off with these text messages. Um, The messages follow former U.S. Special Envoy to Ukraine Kurt Volker's deposition yesterday. Walk us through them. So what we learned in these text messages, these are between Kurt Volker, who was deposed yesterday, uh, Gordon Sondland, who's the U.S. ambassador to the EU, and a top aide to the Ukrainian president, whose name is Andrei Yermak. And what we learn from the text messages is that uh, this whole time we've been talking about whether Trump ordered this hold on U.S. aid to Ukraine, about $400 million worth over the summer, to have leverage on Ukraine, to pressure them to investigate Biden. But what these text messages show us is that the leverage they were actually using was dangling a White House meeting between Trump and Zelensky. They knew that Zelensky wanted to come to Washington uh, because that it would give him a lot of credibility. It would be show, seen as a U.S. sign of support for him. And they were sort of holding this over him until he could prove to the president or convince the president that he was willing to to investigate both Biden and any possible interference in the 2016 U.S. election. Mm, So how will these text messages be used within this impeachment inquiry? I think so. What what Democrats really care about in all of this or, or what they've been talking about a lot is whether there was any quid pro quo, because it's already pretty clear from what we've seen from the transcripts and from what Trump has said publicly that Trump is willing to use the power of his office and the, the standing that he has as president to publicly pressure foreign countries to investigate a political rival. But what they're looking for is whether he actually used any other parts of his office to further pressure him to do that. So that would include, you know, holding up U.S. aid to Ukraine that Ukraine badly needs. And it would also include sort of dangling these kinds of meetings in front of a foreign leader. So I think Democrats are definitely going to escalate their investigation into what quid pro quos the president might have been offering in exchange for assistance in an investigation. So help us connect the dots uh, even more between these text messages and Trump's call uh, with Zelensky. Um, What uh, kind of story do these text messages paint about who might have known about the call? That's an interesting question. So what the text messages show is that right before the call, uh, Kurt Volker texts, I believe, uh, Gordon Sondland, the ambassador to the EU, and says that uh, he's just spoken to the White House and he thinks that if Zelensky can persuade Trump that he's willing to investigate or get to the bottom of what happened in 2016, that he thinks they can set up a date for uh, a White House meeting for Zelensky and Trump. Um, so that's, you know, pretty clearly suggesting that there's a tie between the two. Um, and and I think what we see after the call is that they hear that it's gone well. And having read the transcript of the call, we know that Trump asks Ukraine to do him a favor and investigate whether Ukraine might have interfered in the 2016 election, which relates to this conspiracy theory that the president has about um, that's basically trying to undermine the the idea that Russia interfered in the 2016 election. 
Mm. So we know he brings that up. We know Zelensky is receptive on the call and says he's going to do everything he can and he's willing to open a new chapter in their relationship. Uh, and then after the call, they, the Volker and Sondland say they hear it's gone well and think they're going to be able to set up a date. So it seems pretty clear that they went into the call thinking, you know, Trump is going to bring up these investigations that he wants Ukraine to pursue. Zelensky needs to convince him that he's willing to do those. And that is what happened on the call. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff there. Well, let's jump to your story on former Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch. What were the complaints about her? So she is an interesting case. She is someone who has been for the last year or so the target of a lot of attacks, especially on conservative websites from Rudy Giuliani, from a number of people close to the White House, even from the president's son, Donald Trump Jr. And they're saying things like she's anti-Trump. She's going around Ukraine saying, don't listen to the president because he's going to be impeached. And, uh, you know, that those are some of the milder accusations against her. And I should say that we haven't been able to substantiate those claims. It's not totally clear where they're originating. And a lot of people who know her, she hasn't spoken publicly, but a lot of people who know her say that she does everything by the book. She's, you know, a consummate professional and, and wouldn't engage in political maneuvering on behalf of Democrats or Republicans. So that's, that's the argument that Rudy Giuliani and others have been making about her. Talk to us a little more about why Trump decided to remove Ivanovich and what are the implications of that removal? What we understand from our reporting is that Trump decided to remove her after Rudy Giuliani and others approached him with these concerns about her and, um, and they brought it up repeatedly. It goes back to 2018 when a Republican congressman who's close with various associates of Giuliani wrote a letter to the Secretary of State asking for her to be removed, again, citing this anti-Trump bias. So he's been hearing these concerns about her for months and months. And finally, it seems Rudy Giuliani came to him, voiced these concerns again, and specifically said that he felt like she was undermining the president abroad and blocking efforts by Giuliani and others to convince Ukraine to investigate the Bidens. And it seems like that in some ways was the final straw for the president. And what we understand is that State Department officials were told this spring that it was a priority for the president that she be removed. Uh, Giuliani, we know, also sent a document directly to the Secretary of State, outlining other reasons why he felt she needed to be removed, including some close relationship he said she had with Biden. Um, So these are all the reasons leading up to her removal. And the fact that the president was willing to remove a U.S. official because she was because he believed she was blocking an investigation that he wanted into a political rival is is a pretty Uh, unprecedented move. Mm. Well, we will leave it there. Rebecca, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Mm. Well, here's a tweet from BuzzFeed News reporter Ryan Mack. We were able to see a draft open letter from Bill Barr and officials in the UK and Australia to Mark Zuckerberg asking for Facebook to halt the rollout of E2E encryption across its apps. This may get ugly. Here's a tweet from Dylan Byers. The people, Facebook must respect our privacy. Mark Zuckerberg, yeah, okay, here's end-to-end encryption across all of our apps. Attorney General Bill Barr, Facebook must not be too private. Zuckerberg, thinking emoji. Thinking emoji. (laughs) Well, joining us now to discuss is Ryan Mack. Good morning. Hey, guys. All right. So, Ryan, first, walk us through what E2E encryption is and why is Facebook considering it? So, it stands for end-to-end encryption. It's a way of, it's a basic way of just 
securing messages between two parties so that a third party can't access the content, read the content, or, or use it in any way. Um, so a lot of apps, uh, messaging apps, have this in place, like WhatsApp, for example. So talk to us a little bit about uh, Bar Australia and the UK. Um, why don't they want this to happen? So a lot of these uh, uh, departments and, and uh, governments don't want this to happen because they want access to people's messages or their communications in, in cases of investigations. So the examples that were brought up yesterday were things like terrorism investigations or child uh, sex abuse uh, investigations. They want to have access to people's messages in case uh, they need to go and, and sort these crimes out. But um, the thing is, a lot of these things are already standard in, in many apps. I, iMessage, for example, WhatsApp we've talked about. And Facebook is working towards uh, and, uh, kind of rolling that out for other things like Facebook Messenger, Instagram Messenger. And um, the government sees that as a problem. Mm. And could there be any fallout, you know, if they do build this technology to have a backdoor for law enforcement to be able to have, I think they said, manageable format to get this content? Is there any risk involved in that? I think there is. I mean, I guess the term for these things are called backdoors. Um, the government wants backdoors into these forms of communications. And um, that kind of undermines this expectation that people have that their communications are indeed private, that they're not going to be read by a third party or a government or, or anyone else. And I think that could have some kind of really terrible uh, implications if, if backdoors do get into something like WhatsApp, for example. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, how uh, the, the, the response you've received um, to your reporting, uh, especially from Facebook? So Facebook for the longest, at least for the last year, has been um, moving towards this kind of privacy first uh, focus. And uh, yesterday, Zuckerberg uh, had, a, had an internal talk saying that they won't kind of diverge from this, from this path. They're really focused on end-to-end -end encryption and that they're going to have to work things out with the government. Mm, all right. Well, Ryan, you also broke another tech story yesterday regarding Elon <laughs> Musk. Here's a tweet from you. We found the private investigator that Elon Musk hired to dig up dirt on a British cave rescuer was an ex-felon and scammer who defrauded past business partners of more than $500,000. The guy cold emailed Musk, who hired him for $52,000 with little diligence. So, Ryan, this story was wild and has everything. You know, angry billionaire, ex-felon, cave rescues. Walk us back. Why was Musk interested in the cave rescue situation in the first place? How much time have we got? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't know why he was uh, interested in this cave situation, but he tried to insert himself. He created this submarine last summer to rescue, help rescue these kids that didn't end up getting used in the process. Um, and one of the cave rescuers ended up criticizing him uh, for a, what they called the publicity stunt at the time. Um, Elon Musk then calls the guy a pedo guy, uh, reference to a pedophile because he lived in Thailand. He's a, he's a British guy living in Thailand. And that kicked off this whole mess of things for Musk that led to a defamation lawsuit um, from this cave rescuer. Uh, we found out yesterday that uh, in the process of trying to verify this claim, this wild claim that this, this cave rescuer was a pedo guy, um, Musk had hired this investigator who ended up being a, an ex-con and a, and a scammer. So how did Musk not vet this guy before hiring him? 
I, I, you got to ask Musk that, but I mean, uh, we, we don't know either. I mean, just looking at what's been released in the court documents is, which is what our, our reporting is based on. Uh, this guy just emails Musk and his assistant and a month later has a job. Uh, he's contracted for $52,000 to, to start digging up dirt on, on this, this cave rescuer, Britton Unsworth. And a lot of the stuff that he digs up is largely unverified. Uh, un a lot of it was untrue, and a lot of it fed this rumor um, that Musk propagated that this guy supposedly took a 12-year-old child bride. Huh. Fascinating. Well, you know, before we let you go, <laughs> what does the situation tell us about Musk as an executive and a leader? Because it seems very bizarre that someone at his level would be hiring someone unvetted. So Elon's a special case. I mean, we've seen in the last year the amount of issues that he's embroiled himself in, whether that's fights with the SEC or fights with shareholders or employees. Um, we talked to kind of management experts about this, and they said, well, like, uh, it really is a state of mind thing. I mean, if he's engaging in this type of activity, should investors trust him to run two major companies, one which is a, a very public electric car company. Uh, and that, I guess, remains to be seen. I mean, if, if investors trust this kind of behavior, then he'll continue to have uh, these roles. But I'm, I'm sure some folks are second guessing whether or not he's the right person to, to lead these companies or, or to have these, these responsibilities. Mm. Ooh, well, it is a lot. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Oh, Ryan is just the busiest person here at BuzzFeed. I mean, listen, that Elon Musk be like, you probably are, your work is never done. Yeah, you're if you're constantly on, that on yeah. call. Well, Ryan, great job with that. <laughs> well, later on, star of the hit show Purge, actor Derek Luke is here. But up next, it's time for Fire Tweets. Welcome back. Um, we did not do our like glorious little it's Friday Fri celebration that we normally Fri do. Yes. Uh, it's also sweater weather. Yes, we're both wearing yeah. sweaters and the studio is quite cold so we can always wear sweaters, but outside it is cold. And as an Angelina who just yeah, York, yeah. I'm very happy about this. I won't be happy once it hits January. Welcome to seasons. Thank Welcome you. to seasons. It's nice. <laughs> it's like the earth has a personality. It's, it's, it's wonderful. It's like, what, what a lovely way to put it. Let's see if you say that when you're trudging in like two feet of no one dirty ever says snow. Personalities are always good. Like, I think two feet of snow is a bad personality trait. All right. That's true. All right. Let's get to these tweets. Rex, you tweeted, teacher, no eating in class. People sitting in the back of the classroom enjoying a buffet. You I know? feel like kids in my class didn't share. They were like, no, this is my girl. Well, no. Who would do that? Who would do such a thing? <laughs> Especially if I am already breaking the rules to eat in the back of class. Because you were a bad student, I, I hear. Student. Yeah, I used to throw pencils and get them stuck in the ceiling. I used to talk way too much and get kicked out of class. Alex Berg, All the kinds troublemaker. Of I know, I know. I had no but idea. But a high-achieving troublemaker. So I, I, too, was a high-achieving yeah. just talker. I yeah. just didn't make trouble. I just talked shit a lot. <laughs> and look where it got us. <laughs> journalists. This is how you become a journalist. <laughs> All right, Playboy, you tweet it. Those a year ago today memories on Snapchat really suck. Sometimes I don't want to be reminded of how good everything was a year ago. See, I feel differently about this because I don't want to be reminded of what my face looked like before all of this exhaustion and stress. <laughs> Are you seeing With one more year of wear and tear, I think so. The Trump effect. You know, plastic surgery's gonna <laughs> through the roof in about a decade. I mean... If the world's still spinning. If, yeah, if that. <laughs> Lexi, you tweeted. I don't think boys really understand that girls' stalking skills are so strong that we can literally find out your entire autobiography in 12 minutes. T, facts. You know. Facts only. Yeah. 
We it's should true. have put the Teenage Girls of America on the Mueller case. That's what I'm saying. Results. Me and my high school bestie, <laughs> if you would have put us on that, like, we would have figured it all out. Could you imagine a, a room full of teenage girls? Like, with, I'm like, telling you, I got a snap to the private Snapchat. <laughs> I feel that actually, like, um, this is very, this kind of applies to everyone these uh-huh. days because everyone is on social media looking at people, yeah. you know. I will say, as a reporter, some people fact check me quicker on the on Twitter than, like, other editors do at any time. So, you know, mm-hmm. it is it is a crazy time. Mm-hmm. Well, our well next... we actually, we want to know from the oh, people. Yeah. We have a little, yeah, we'll take this to the timeline. If you've ever occasionally stalked someone on social media, what was the craziest thing you found? Let us know using the hashtag am to dm what was the craziest thing you found, <laughs> why, Zach? Why would you ask me this? It's hard for, I you, will to say, it's hard for you to choose I will one. say this. There's a lot of them. I'm going to look at this camera. There have been a lot of them, but there we go. But one time I did date a man. I was in college. I brought him to a party, and then I checked my Facebook, and all my friends had forwarded me links to his career as a porn star. And that was <laughs> very shocking. <laughs> so I will say my friends maybe are better than me than you. at vetting my own people I date. I, we are no longer together, obviously. Well, I, Not because he's a porn star, but right, because right, I was course. 19. Like, well, the other thing, too, is like, I guess you have to decide if you want to Google someone before you go on a date. I'm trying not very, to lately. I don't know. It could really ruin your date. Yeah, or, or Instagram, all that. Yeah. Anyway. We anyways, anyways, forever. we could keep going. Moe Vanden, you tweeted, people using private story to upload normal stuff. Do you owe someone money? Like, why are you why are you doing that? I do notice that where people you do. I think because people don't want I was at a dinner party the other night and people were like doing that, I think, because they didn't want other people to ask, like, why was I not invited or mm. something. So, you mm-hmm. know, privacy. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they owed people money. That mm. would make sense. That would also, yeah, that would also make sense. Oh, tweet of the day, ready? Yep. Comes from XO. Friend, hey, I'm outside. Me. All right. I'm coming out right now. Also me. Which this is so. Like, people are like, okay, uh, ready to go? And I'm like, sure. I'm actually sitting on my couch in pajamas with no makeup on. So what I'm mad about and what I'm understanding about our relationship is that you are that person and I'm the person (laughs) at the door saying, girl, where are you? Like, why are you not downstairs? Because I'm always on time. I know, and especially <laughs> with this, the cold opens that we do in the morning. <laughs> That's so true. I'm always like, I'll be right there. Actually, I'll be like there in 10, 10 minutes. minutes. She's yeah. not a rabbit. Terrible, anyway. terrible. Well, coming up, Alex is sitting down with actor Derek Luke. But up next, we're talking about someone's Handmaid's Tale-themed wedding. Why, though? Why? Don't understand. Here's a tweet from USA Today. A couple's The Handmaid's Tale-inspired wedding photograph featuring the bride and groom kissing besides handmaids in red robes and white bonnets and in front of the wall has gone viral. Mm -hmm. And here's a sample of the backlash. A tweet from God Loves Women says, Oh my word, someone has had a Handmaid's Tale-themed wedding and I am horrified. Madison Malone Kircher spoke with the photographer behind the image and tweeted, Whoo mama! And let me tell you, if you uh, read the story she wrote where she interviewed this photographer, you might have the same reaction. Um, It will come as a surprise to perhaps few people that uh, photoshopping in the handmaids was, I guess, Uh, the groom's idea. A man's idea. Yes, although it it all, uh, the photographer said that it was like kind of an idea of everyone because they were standing in front of the notorious wall, which is... Um, where handmaids and other offenders are hung for violating the rules. Are they called um, gender in Gilead? So, so uh, 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 some of gender traitors gender are traitors, LGBTQ people, yes. LGBTQ women in particular. Yeah. The photographer said uh, that is in a gay couple and basically said they wanted to highlight um, the oppression that LGBTQ people face with this wedding photo, <sighs> but I don't really get that. So, is this stresses me out because. 
I don't watch that show because it feels too prescient. Like it's constantly happening, happening in real time. So for you to make a wedding joke about it, especially this time, this year, especially today of all days, it's just awful, terrible, bad taste. And like, I'm sorry, you're getting dragged, deserving. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that, that is the thing. Like, here's the thing about The Handmaid's Tale is there is nothing that is in the original book that hasn't actually happened to women in real life. Yeah. And I think the reason why we're feeling this so strongly today is that actually the Supreme Court um, has just announced that it's gonna take up uh, a case about abortion, um, a case that's from Louisiana um, over whether or not uh, doctors who uh, give abortions need admitting privileges to hospitals. Mm. And I can tell you a little bit uh, about, yeah. about why, why that comes into play. Um, but it does feel like it's just too real, because yes. it is too real. Like people's lives are re literally at stake. You know, next week, October 8th, and we'll be doing a lot of coverage on this, we're hearing a case in the Supreme Court on Title VII, mm -hmm. which may redefine sex discrimination, meaning that literally, literally you and I could get fired mm -hmm. next week just for being us, mm -hmm. and now the Supreme Court's also gonna hear about this abortion restrictions, meaning yeah. that like we can get fired, and then also folks who, who are interested in reproductive health don't have access to it anymore. Like, yeah. this is literally erasing all of us. So, yeah, so the big thing about this case is that uh, oftentimes anti-abortion abortion uh, groups and activists say that they want to place these restrictions mm -hmm. um, on clinics uh, in the name of women's health so that it'll actually be safer for women to have abortions um, if a doctor has admitting privileges to a hospital. Mm -hmm. If that happens, abortion, um, when done in these clinics, is actually a, a completely safe medical procedure. Yes. So it's really just a veil uh, to increase more restrictions mm -hmm. for folks to have a medical procedure. Yes, so, exactly. And yeah. it's really built for a certain type of woman, like cis, probably yeah. white, rich, has access to healthcare, all of these things. So it's really just this really terrible system yeah. that's really yeah. making sure that like none of us can have access yeah, to Yeah, I mean, anything. and I'll just add one more thing is like whenever these restrictions go into place, you know, they always, always disproportionately mm -hmm. impact um, poor women, yes. uh, women of color, um, immigrants, and, and folks who, uh, you know, for whatever reason, um, it, it's harder for them to get the kind of healthcare that they need. Like yes. we know that Oftentimes, the white women who have uh, access to any kind of capital are mm -hmm. always able to find yes. a way to have the kind of procedures. For sure. So, Amen. Yes. Well, you know, beyond that really important point, and we will be covering the Supreme Court's decisions and conversations on this as the show obviously continues, uh, I may have started thinking about weddings and what times weddings have been really <laughs> We're going to pivot. Pivoting take back it back to, to Take it back to weddings. Because, you know, people always mess up their weddings with themes like this. So let's take it to the timeline. What's the worst wedding theme you've ever heard of? Tweet us using the hashtag AM2DM. And the one that I'm going to throw out there to inspire y'all are folks who have weddings on plantations. Don't. Oh, yeah, I mean, Stop. like, let it go. Yeah. Do not use the slave quarters as like a dressing room. Do not have your interracial couple there as like a moment of reclamation. Do not do any of this. Let it go. Let slave, let plantations be plantations and let accurate histories around those spaces be told, not reimaginations of your pre-antebellum slave dreams. Absolutely. Tea on that. Yeah, for real. I mean, well, we could keep on going, but we have to end it there. Up next, I'm sitting down with the Purge actor, Derek Luke. Ooh. USA Network's television adaptation of The Purge is back for season two, and this time around, it's starring actor Derek Luke. Derek is with me now to talk about what we can expect on Ooh. Purge Night and more. Welcome. How you doing? I'm good. I'm yeah. like a little bit nervous to have this conversation about the purge because it scares yeah. me. But uh -huh. yeah, nah, yeah, yeah. I'm, so we just wrapped. So I, I, you know, I'm going through this post purge symptom <laughs> and just to relax because it was tense. It was full of drama and a lot of action. So I, 
I'm excited. Okay, you're I'm excited. Ex- I'm excited. You're yeah. excited. Well, speaking of the drama, um, your character is a family man whose yeah. life is pretty much turned upside down on Purge Night when mm-hmm. uh, an assassin breaks into his house. And I, I actually want our viewers to get a sense of this, so okay. let's take a look at a clip from the show. You gotta hide. You gotta hide in here. What are you doing? I gotta get it out. The house? Yes. I need you to reset the system and close the barricade. It's too dangerous. I love you. Um, frankly, it looks terrifying to me. Uh, yeah. What yeah. appealed to you about playing this role? You know what? I wanted to get to know the audience. Like, like the Purge audience is like a rock and roll audience. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because when you talk to people who do rock and roll, man, they're so enthusiastic. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I, I want some of that enthusiasm. So I, I, I've been thinking about doing horror for like the last couple of years. Yeah. And the Purge presented a great opportunity. So I want to talk a little bit more about that because you're known for dramatic roles like mm-hmm. Antoine Fisher. Um, what was it like to switch gears and step into a horror role? Uh, you know what? What I love about The Purge is like it creates this future fantasy and, you know, doing dramas. I, I did a lot, a few bi- biographies and I was telling these true life events. Mm-hmm. But in Purge, you got to use just pure imagination. Mm. And what would you do if an intruder came in your home? What would you do if you were being targeted? Yeah. All that crazy stuff. So that's, that's why it was like I wanted to do some pop rock acting. Well, I, I kind of want to know what you would do. So mm. let's say uh, it was happening and you didn't okay. participate. Like you weren't going after anyone, but you uh-huh. could, had to pick someone to tag team oh, all of these killers. Is there someone in your life that you would pick? Oh my God, outside of uh, my wife? Yeah. I or would, you could choose yeah. your wife, right? Yeah, who I could, else? I could who choose else? My, that seems like an obvious choice. I choose my else? wife. I would probably try to uh, find some type of superhero <laughs> um, uh, to, to team up for that night. Um, I, I don't know. That's a really good question. Yeah, it's a tough one because you have to think of a friend who would, I feel like, Ooh, also friend. be kind of athletic, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Who, like, who would be equipped for it? I probably would choose a friend that was naive of the purge. Hmm. And he would be my uh, he would be my buddy for that night, <laughs> and I would allow him to be sort of my uh, teddy bear for, <laughs> for the disturbances to comfort you. Yeah, exactly. Does playing this character make you want to do anything with your own home security? Oh my God! Now, I've been wanting to do something with my home security for a while now. Um, we live in California, and the other night uh, we were there. Big knock on the window, and it was this huge bear. So, Wait, I, I know, excuse me? it was this huge bear. I woke my wife up and my son, and I said, look at the bear. Look a bear, bear, wait, a bear, like a grizzly bear? Yeah. on your window? Yeah, it was a big brown bear. He had to be about 550 pounds. That's and, wild. Yeah, and then the next day, I took the trash out, just had my underwear on, and I hear the trash can turn over, and I look. And he just looks over. I'm like, Wait, the, I'm, the bear was still outside. He, he came back. They're smart. They smell food. They come back. So I was gonna offer him a knife and fork. Just leave me alone. You know what I mean? But Wait, I, so what did you do? I ran. I, yeah. In the I, I house. Out. I ran and I. It was like a purge. It was an intruder. <laughs> it was, was an a, intruder. Yeah. I just can't even believe that you just wrapped this show. Uh huh. 
where your character is subject to a home invasion, Shoot. pretty much, and literally a bear knocks on your window. Let me tell you something. There's nothing like a bear perjure coming to your house. <laughs> it's all over. I, I am. I, I can't. I, I like. I can't even. I can't even believe it. I'm. Hey, I'm telling you the truth. No, I. I. I do. I, I mean, I, I get it. But I want to switch gears a little bit to talk to, about some of your other work that you're known for. Okay. Um, you also star as a school counselor, Mr. Porter, mm-hmm. in Thirteen Reasons Why. Um, he's a bit of a controversial character. Um, how much did you have to try to understand him mm. to play this role? Uh, Mr. Porter was interestingly challenged challenging because I work with my buddy Christopher Emden with this program Hip Hop Ed where we go into the schools and we try to make the, uh, the classroom and the teacher's relationship and the student uh, more cohesive. So playing Mr. Porter was challenging because it was opposite everything I've learned. Hmm. So, um, but I, I love those, those, those uh, roles that make people think, mm-hmm. open dialogue, mm-hmm. because acting for me, art is a teachable life lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, you get mm-hmm. to interact and people tell you what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking about some of those life lessons, um, I know that one of the cast members, um, Grace Safe, uh, got some really uh, harsh treatment online, uh-huh. um, you know, which was a contrast to the show's anti-bullying message. Um, what was your reaction to that? Have you thought about the reaction that the show's gotten online? You know, I, I, I sort of heard that through the uh, whisper. Now, uh, I know Grace. She, not only a brilliant actress, she's, uh, she's solid mm. uh, mentally. I think, I think what it says, you know, in life, if you go on social media, you, you got to make sure that social media is not feeding your confidence, that you have to feed social media. And mm-hmm. so many times there's so many people that get on social media that are broken. So it's really a chance to analyze, are you healthy mentally? Mm-hmm. That's, 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 that's my analytics mm-hmm. of, of grace. Mm-hmm. Grace, wherever you are, I love you. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, um, are you returning for the fourth and final season of the show? You know, that's a great question the showrunner uh, brian that's a question for you uh <laughs> let me know um, while i'm fighting off the bear just write uh, me in seriously you know I mean? yeah. yeah yeah well you mentioned uh that you go into the schools and you work with kids mm-hmm. um and you're making a real difference in communities with the Derek luke foundation mm-hmm. what keeps you motivated to keep doing that work uh well easy when i was in uh i i become a better student as i got older versus when i was young and so no one really analyzed my situation. But what I, what I realized is I used to think that I failed the system, mm. but I think the system failed me. Mm, mm-hmm. Because teaching is not about testing, it's about observing. Mm. And it's about understanding. So if you're teaching someone, it's not about how well they pay attention, it's what they take away. Mm. So that's why... We do what we do. That's what keeps you going. Yeah. Um, Well, uh, you're from Jersey City, and you do a lot of work uh, in Jersey City. But that Mm -hmm. being said, we wanted to test a little bit of your New Jersey knowledge. So I'm from Philly, so I know some uh, some stuff about New Jersey. Um, So I'm going to give you a little quiz if you're down. A disclaimer. I went to public school, so. <laughs> no don't, don't worry, I don't think that's okay, that no any, any of these things no is going offense, okay. no offense. So my first okay. question for you is, which Jersey Shore cast member was no. just released from prison? And oh. your choices are Snooki, Polly D, or Mike Sorrentino. Oh, man. It was a guy, wasn't it? I'll give you that. It was a guy. Okay. So that, that brings give it down to Polly D or Mike. Uh, Mike, the situation. I would say the situation. That's right. Really? Yeah, you no got offense, it. No offense, man, it. but 
Mm, yeah. You fit the. Mm-hmm. All right. My but, next question: okay. What was Jersey? What was Jersey City singer Christina Milian's hit song called? Oh, Day to night. Sure. A.M. to P.M. or A.M. to D.M. Oh snap! A.M. to D.M. Is that your answer? Now, I act with Christina Milian in the scene, so. So you better know this one. I know, but she didn't sing it right when she was next to me. So uh, I would say DM. Oh, oh you're so close. Oh, it's a PM, but oh. DM is this show. So we love that. Okay, so we'll it was take the it. remix. We'll take it. We'll the one it. I heard, it was the, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, which New, New Jersey actor has won the most Oscars? Meryl Streep, Jack Nicholson, or Michael Douglas? Dang. I think Nicholson. Okay, so... Wait, wait, wait. She, she was nominated more, right? Yes, that's but right. I think... This is a little bit of a trick question. Jack or Mike won. <laughs> well, you know what? We'll give it to you. It's okay. Meryl Streep and Jack uh, have are tied for the most Oscars, but oh. Meryl ha- does have the most nominations. Okay, she has most. So, how many? She has... Uh, I'm actually not sure how many she has okay. at this point. She has 21 you. Oscar noms and three wins. I love you, yes. Meryl, by the way. I just, I didn't even know that she was a New Jerseyan. Yeah. So, you know? Yep, yep. All right, we're almost done. Um, which sport was first played in New Jersey? Basketball, baseball, or football? Baseball. Yep, in Hoboken. Yeah. All right, okay, last question. Uh-huh. New Jersey has the most of what of these in the world? Diners, seagulls, or malls? Oh, what was the third one? Malls. Oh, snap. Diners, seagulls, or malls? Diners. Yes, that's right. Hey, Sam. <laughs> hey, give me some free bank. All right. Well, okay. That was so much fun. Thank okay. you so much for joining You're me. You're a blessing. I Thank still you. can't even wrap my head around this bear story. I'm going to uh, think about it all day long. You can come visit him anytime. Okay. All right. I will uh, take you up on that. Season two of The Purge premieres on USA Network on Wednesday, October 15th. Later on in the show, Celia is talking to actor Shamir Anderson. But up next, you get to see how Cory Booker schooled me in music trivia. That really happened. Another New Jerseyan. Cory Booker. Yeah, Yeah, Cory Booker. Yes. A couple weeks ago, I sat down with 2020 presidential candidate and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. But before I was even able to ask him about his campaign, he decided to school me on music, and I am still humiliated. So take a look. This is killing me that you don't know Super Tramp. I, I'm pretty sure that I must know. I mean, some I want songs. you to go to Spotify and listen and to listen? some Super. Okay. Hold on, hold on. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. This is one of the ones that I just loved. Oh, there's so many. I, I don't even know what to, if I'm gonna introduce you. This is one of the ones. I, this is called Breakfast in America. I feel like I've heard this song before. Yes, of course. I've definitely heard this song okay, before. Okay, okay, hold yeah. on, hold on. This is, uh, this is, uh, so it's raining again is another one, but this is like a really yes, deep I've, song, I've deep lyrics here. Yes. Should we sing it together? I mean, I don't think I know the lyrics, but be my guest. <laughs> you have the mic right now. <laughs> I just think, you know what was really great about me in college? Like, um, when I got to college, then it was cassettes for me. And um, I just discovered all of this music. I, I, because I got into my parents' music, jazz, soul, gospel. I got into my high school friends' music. You know, Bruce was like a diet mm-hmm. when you're growing up. You know, my husband. You know, really, <laughs> <laughs> he really just talks some shit. <laughs> I mean, really. let me tell you, literally walked in the room and just sat down and started going. And this is one of those moments. Like, I have definitely heard, for the record, I have heard Supertramp's music. I just did not know it was called Supertramp. 
Also, That's you it. don't expect to sit down with the senator as he exits stage on a televised national broadcast of a forum and say, have you heard of Super Tramp? Is, is know, that what you like, expect? So, but, but also, you know, he tries to like pivot and start talking about the music he listened in college. Yeah. Like I, I just wasn't even asking any questions. He just, he just went there. I really just love journey. that this exists and that you experience this because now people understand kind of the background to when Cory Booker picked me up on stage of like how that's not surprising and also how interesting the man is yeah. and how he's always pulling little stunts to get laughs or something. I don't know what it is. Well, I have to say that uh, the LGBTQ forum and our trip to Iowa is really just Historic. the gift that keeps on giving. It just keeps because giving we, have, we just have like well, endless content from this. <laughs> so much content. Well, you know, we can talk about this all day, but we've got to move on because Sylvia's up next and she's talking to actor Shamir Anderson. Stay tuned. Shamira Anderson has starred in TV shows like Winona Earp, movies like Destroyer, and City of Lies. And now he's joining Prime Video series Goliath for season three. Shamira joins me now. Hi. Good. I love that we're matching. I have like a yeah, good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good conversation. We got the memo this we morning. We got the memo. It's the hot picking melanin. <laughs> hot pink melanin moment. <laughs> you already know. Yes. Okay, so what can you tell me about your Goliath character? Thurs. Yes, plural. Because that is a twist, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah plural. I, um, I had the, the luxury of playing two characters on this se- season, um, Anton and Dario. And the beauty about these two characters is that they're twins. Cool. They're brothers. And one of them is deaf, so I had to learn sign language throughout oh, the entire wow. process. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, but it was an undertaking for me. And it was a humbling experience to be able to dive into the world and understand, you know, deaf culture and be educated in that way because I don't have any deaf family members or anything like that. So it was very important to me to be of service mm-hmm. and to really understand, um, you know, all the aspects that encompass that. But it was an incredible journey for me to be on that show and to play two people is a lot. <laughs> it feels like it's hard. Is that hard? Very hard. Right? I mean, like, playing one character is hard. It's hard enough, but then you have to do it back to back. Back to back. I got to dress up as one guy, do the whole scene, go back. Get changed quickly. <laughs> they lock the cameras, and then I come back, back. and do the whole uh, shit bang as the other character. Yeah. So what was it like to join a show that's been going on for a few seasons to be like the new kid on set? I mean, it was, I got to work with Billy Bob Thornton, you nice. know, and yeah. Bo Bridges, Amy Brenneman, Dennis Quaid, who played my uncle. You know, and I like from the parent trap. So, like, to me, that was nostalgic <laughs> for me. But, uh, you know, this is such a... a uh, a flagship show for Amazon, and to be able to come into the third season as a new series regular, you know, I just wanted to make sure I, I stuck to the work and did my work at the highest level, and you know, made sure I was on that same level with uh, guys like Billy Bob, who's amazing. Nice. I love that you love The Parent Trap. Oh, that was one of my favorite movies growing listen, up too. I, I watch that all the time. <laughs> <in> the <hood. laughs> another twin, another twin special. Yeah. Um, you know, this show focuses on environmental justice and yes. corruption. Do you do you make a point to do films with big themes like this? Like I mean, I think like just as an artist, you know, we just got to be mindful of the work that we do because we have a responsibility. So when I read scripts, when I look at projects, I definitely want to understand the subject matter. You know, and understand how I can use my skill sets and my gifts to influence the masses through my work. So it is definitely an important part of my career when looking at scripts. You know, outside of the entertainment value, I just definitely want to understand, you know, the subject matter and, you know, making sure that we're pushing the narrative in a positive, loving direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Now, some people may not know this. You're not a twin, but you do have a brother. I do got a brother. Stephon James. I do, I do. And I've seen you guys at award shows, like Oscar season, at dinners and parties together. Just always like carpets, you know, all these things that are so cute. (laughs) Do you guys, um, how else do you guys support each other in your career since you guys are in the same industry? Um, Yeah, I got two brothers, Stephon and Sheldon. Sheldon's not in the business, but Stephon is an incredible actor. He's my best friend. And we support each other <clears throat> the same way how you'd support your other siblings. We FaceTime all the time. <laughs> we talk about mama's jerk chicken. You know, uh, we hang out. I mean, he lives in L.A. I live in L.A. And we just go over each other's houses like on Sunday nights and just kick it, man. We talk about Canadian basketball. Shout out to the Raptors. Just saying. <laughs> we the champions. Just saying. But, uh, <laughs> Put that out, flex, you know, flex. You know, you know. Uh, but, it's, it, man, it's great to be able to go to the Oscars with your bro. I mean, yeah. I mean we went to the Oscars this year, and it was crazy. I yeah. mean, we're like, yo, man, is that Christian Bale? <laughs> yo, right. is that Julia Roberts? Oh, yeah, you worked with Julia Roberts. You know, like, yeah. this whole journey's been nuts. And we went to the Golden Globes with our mama this year, oh. which is really cool because my brother was nominated for his uh, role in Amazon's Homecoming. Yes. I mean, it's, just, it's just incredible to, to experience it you know, as a as an individual, but then be able to share those moments with your blood. Mm. I mean, it's it's that it's so, so it's so special, yeah. you know, because we grew up together, and I mean, I've seen him from start to present. You know, right. it's beautiful to be able to really bask in all this greatness, especially with family. You yeah. Know? Speaking of like great things that you guys have done with family, you have an organization yes, we do. in Canada, speaking of Canada, about mentorship program called BLACK. Well, the acronym is BLACK, B-L-A-C-K. Right. Why did you guys want to give that to the young people in Toronto, this well, organization? Yeah, BLACK stands for Building a Legacy in Acting Cinema and Knowledge. Ooh. And um, what that is is something that we founded four years ago in Toronto. Stefan and I are from the Community Housing Projects in Toronto. And we found that as we were coming up in the business, there was nobody that looked like us. Mm. And there was really no platform to, for, for artists of color, you know, young black men to have, you know, a beacon of light and, and, and to be able to strive for something and look at something like, I want to do that. So we created this. It started off as a party, you know, it grew into something better. We're now officially a non-for-profit. We've partnered with Toronto International Film Festival. So we're an official TIFF partner. Nice. Um, and uh, this year we're launching a monologue slam, which is a big monologue competition with the Toronto District School Board. And we're just trying to use the gifts that we've been given to really empower and inspire other young black men and women, you know, and to yeah. really show them that, yo, you can be an actor from the hood. Right. <laughs> like, you too can make it. 100%. I feel like, I mean, we just saw it just earlier with you and the Raptors. Canadians yeah. and people from Toronto have a lot of pride. Yeah. You guys have a lot of pride. What yeah. do you think inspires so many people to be so connected to their roots there? Because, I don't know, maybe I'm a little jealous because America is kind of going through <laughs> it right now and we don't really get to be as proud, but, like, y'all yeah. <laughs> rep everywhere. Yeah, man, I mean... I'm biased, but I think Toronto's one of the best cities in the world, you know? But uh, we have such incredible artists like Drake, The Weeknd, Daniel Caesar, um, you know, incredible actors, my brother, Lamar Johnson, Jim Carrey, Mike Myers. I mean, the list goes on. And to be able to be from such a country that supports us, I mean, it's just kind of our Canadian nature. We got to... You know, you got to big it up. You know, we've been doing really well this year. I mean, you know, the Raptors won the championship. Yeah, they did. You know what I'm saying? Drake's killing it all the time. And he won't let us forget it. Never. Bieber got married. You know, he got married to an American. I mean, Canadians are just in it's every just a lot of pride. Like, you just don't see American actors being like in the London, like, America, that's where I'm from. I like, know, we don't, I know. it's I don't not know the same. Canadian thing. It's just like, just stop going, hey, we're Canadian, eh? <laughs> Sorry. No, no, that's, I don't know what that is. <laughs> well, speaking of 
speaking of Canada, the, at the Toronto Film International Film Festival this year, yeah. you got honored. I did, yeah. And you got to present an award to Meryl Streep. I did, I did, I did. It was. Well, can, tell, what was that like? I mean, <laughs> Queen Meryl, an honor all at once. Like, yeah, what was that I mean, you're like? excited. I mean, <laughs> I was excited. I mean, I got to. Um, First, I was a TIFF rising star, which essentially means you're kind of tapped to be the next up in the mm. industry. And so TIFF selects around eight individuals from all over the world, Australia, England, Colombia, and I was representing Canada. Nice. And so I was able to come back to my hometown and be a rising star. I got to go to events. I got to do filmmaker labs, workshops, meet directors, producers. And then I got to present at this thing called the TIFF Tribute Gala, which I was, uh, I had the a privilege of presenting <laughs> Miss Meryl Streep, this actor, you don't know. You may have heard of her. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Lifetime Tribute Award. And so I got to present that to her. And it's funny because in that clip, you only get to see Meryl Streep, but I'm literally standing beside Gary Oldman, a.k.a. Winston Churchill, <laughs> oh, right. and like Zorro, a.k.a. Antonio Banderas. <laughs> but I was like, y'all can take the back seat because I'm with Meryl Streep right. right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I sh- shout out to those guys. But right. it was, I mean, all Watch jokes see. aside, I mean, we grow up watching these people all the time. And like 10 years ago, I was working at Laser Quest (laughs) (laughs) in Toronto. (laughs) And fast forward, I'm a Tiff Rising star and I'm presenting awards to Meryl Streep, you know, and working with some of the biggest artists in the world. And so I'm very, very, very blessed to be in this position and I don't take it for granted at all. And I'm happy to be with y'all and just living life, you know? (laughs) So before we go, I have to ask you, which of your upcoming projects are you most excited about next that's coming up? um, I actually just wrapped a movie in Toronto for Netflix opposite Gina Rodriguez. Oh! Yes, yes. You may know her from Jane the Virgin. Yes. And uh, she's incredible. Um, I actually brought her to the... the OVO Fest, which is Drake's concert in Toronto. I'm familiar. The, yeah, yeah, we broke the ice. She hit me in the DMs, I hit her back. Oh, and I'm like, she's like, congratulations, welcome to the show. You know, we're so happy to have you. And I'm like, come to my city, let me treat you. So I brought her and her family out to the OVO Fest. And so we just finished, we literally wrapped principal photography two days ago nice. in Toronto. And it's going to be an incredible film. Ariana Greenblatt's in it as well, Lucius Hoyos, and directed by Mark Rasso. And uh, Gina's our lead, our captain. And, you know, I'm supporting her in this. And uh, it's going to be an incredible film, fingers crossed. Great, what genre? It's genre. It's like a sci-fi thriller, sci-fi thriller? drama. Okay. Like, it gets in a little... I mean, we get dirty, down and dirty in okay. like all the right ways. <laughs> well, I can't wait to see it. Uh, me I'm too. Excited. I'm excited. Well, thank you so much for being here with us I today. I appreciate you. Hot pink melanin. I hot, see right, you. Hot pink chocolate see. melanin. Okay. 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 All right, we got it. The Lion premieres tonight, baby. Yes, The Lion season three is streaming on Prime Video starting today. Up next, Alex and Zach react to your tweets. Welcome back, y'all. I have to let you know something that you cannot tell at home is that this set, it smells incredible. Because both Shamir and Derek wore the most incredible yep. cologne. Yeah. And I'm just like bathing in this right now. Please, guys, tell me what you all were wearing. I mean, it's you know, really good. some days you just, you get what you deserve. Really? Happy really Friday to us. Did to, yes. Is this what having a man feels like? I'm just, <laughs> 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 Please get to these streets. I'm going to let you right. go. <laughs> we ask, what's the worst wedding theme you've ever seen? And Rebecca, oh, Rebecca. Um, me, every time I see people going to great lengths for a Disney wedding. Do people actually do Disney yes. weddings? Yes. That, that is heterosexual culture. Yes, they do themes. They do like Aladdin and Jasmine, et cetera, et cetera. Please stop. Huh. 
Please don't stop. do it. Please like, stop. do it as like as a child. If children want to reenact weddings and make them, make, not even that. Just let it go. Just let it go. All Just right. let it go. Well, Dave, add it. Make America great again. A make America great and again. We theme have wedding. seen also, these on Twitter because Donald Trump has been to one of them. So there we go. Well. Before we go, before we go, we want to wish a very special goodbye to two members of our Antidium family, Mackenzie Marshall and Kyle Cardine. They've been with us uh, on the show since day one. Oh, thank you for all of the hard work you've done for the show. We wish you the best. I'm so sad, but also so excited for these two. They're going to do big things. Yes, and if you need to context there, Kyle runs the DC part of our operation, and Mackenzie is who gives you a lot of our great segments, but also the fire tweets. She's the mother of the fire tweet segments. So we will miss you both, and good luck to what you're doing next, which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you to our guests, Brian Mack, Sylvia Bell, Rebecca Ballhouse, Derek Luke, Shamir Anderson, and... My husband, Cory Booker. <laughs> <laughs> Next week, we've got Elizabeth Olsen, Scott Wolf, Saeed Jones, Cleo Wade, and more. We will be back here t- on Monday, not tomorrow. I will not be in town. Have a great rest of your day. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I will definitely not be here tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>